and welcome to Atari Bytes, the show where we take a bite out of the story within a classic Atari 2600 game and see if that story bites us back. My name is Bill. This is episode 110. Thanks for listening. Welcome back, everybody. May I say, as I'm recording this day, probably, you know, the way life goes when you're hearing this, it's probably some horrendous blizzard outside your window. But as I record this today, it is a flippin' gorgeous day. Um, it's still, it's still a little chilly. It's early in the day. Um, but it's going to warm up to the uh, 40s. The uh, sky is blue. The earth, as far as I know, is still round. And uh, all is pretty good. Even my cold that I complained about last week is getting better. Thanks to modern science. Hope everything is going well for you guys. Let's get into this week's news. This week's news is, as I alluded to earlier, the world is still round. Mad Mike Hughes has been pretty quiet lately. Let's check in with the old Facebook machine. See what he's been up to. He posted on February 24th a photo of the inside of the actuator that decided not to pull the plunger out of the rocket nozzle. Uh, apparently that's the part that broke uh, the day, uh, I think it was the day before the Super Bowl. He was supposed to launch, finally, and he had a mechanical problem, and this apparently was it. He got a new actuator uh, but it was the wrong one, apparently. And then he ordered another one, and then he consulted with a hydraulic cylinder guru who gave him some advice about some scientific gobbledygook that I won't bore you with. At least I assume it is. It may all be garbage. I don't really know. But, you know, the world is behind Mad Mike. They are you know, just patiently waiting for him to smash all the barriers that science has erected to true knowledge. For example, the first response, the first comment on this post is, Give it up, nutbag! So there you go. The world is behind Mad Mike. Let's see. The previous post before that was February 6th, when he said, uh, at that point he was saying the new actuator was going to be completed, but of course we know now that he received his new actuator and it wasn't the right one. Before that, it was January 28th, which was prior to the uh, previously scheduled launch. So no new launch date has been announced that I know of. If you recall, Mad Mike at one point had posted that he was going to keep the launch date a secret until just shortly before launch. I guess. Actually, his, his only reason for that was because it's none of anybody's business, which seems odd, but all right. So I guess we won't know. It could be today, for all I know. Uh, you know, if, if I suddenly learn that the world is now flat, um, for those of you who, who have maybe haven't listened to the last couple of months' worth of episodes, Mad Mike is a limo driver in California who and an amateur scientist who has built a rocket and uh, converted a mobile home into a launch pad, and he is determined to launch himself into the atmosphere, upper atmosphere, and take photos of the Earth that will prove that science and liberal media have been lying to us for, for centuries, basically, and that the Earth really is flat. He's got the backing of some flat Earth groups. Uh, he, this is supposed to be aired, I guess, on the uh, some sort of internet TV service if and when it happens it's been the launch has been scheduled and delayed at least a couple of times so uh we're all kind of waiting with bated breath for this amazing scientific discovery from you know the modern copernicus or galileo or whatever mad mike is but apparently we're not going to know until a few hours before he launches so if i suddenly find out that he's going to launch and that he has done it he has proved the earth is flat and hasn't been eaten by a dragon that lives on the edge of the earth. Um, 
I will, or even if he has, I guess that would still make a pretty uh, exciting story. You know, maybe I'll have to, like, do a special episode of Atari Bytes, you know, the Flat Earth Edition. We'll see. All right. I don't really have any other news. I had a little bit of feedback on Patreon, actually, this week uh, from Michael, a Patreon supporter. Thank you for that, Michael. He posted a comment on the bowling episode, which was uh, last week, uh, episode 109. He wrote, uh, funny, this was my favorite sports game on the Atari 2600. It's not a bad choice, Michael. Bowling, uh, I think, as I said last week, wasn't a bad game. It wasn't the greatest game ever, but it wasn't a bad game. Actually, and I take it back, it wasn't last week. It was uh, episode 108. Episode 109, of course, was boxing, which I actually think I like better than bowling. But that has absolutely nothing to do with Michael's comment. So, sorry for interrupting you, Michael. He wrote, uh, funny, this was my favorite sports game on the Atari 2600. What other game in video game history gives you a cat call for making a spare? Well, you do have a point there, Michael. It was also the only game aside from the teddy bear version of Ms. Pac-Man my mother could play due to Carpal Tunnel. Sorry to hear about the Carpal Tunnel, but I am happy that you had that time with your mom uh, as a kid. For me, uh, as a kid, the only game my mom would play was uh, Video Pinball. She actually liked it a lot. I think there were actually times where she would go play that herself, even if I wasn't around. Uh, Dad wasn't really into the games at all, but he liked, actually on the, and this is heresy for my Atari podcast, he actually liked on the, in television, he liked the baseball game a lot. Uh, and he would, he would happily play that one. Uh, but he wasn't so much into the other games, like the Atari games. Once in a while, uh, he'd do like, again, on the television, like Blackjack or something, or the horse racing game. Um, but not so much on the Atari. I think he probably did play occasionally with me, you know, just to uh, appease me. Um, but yeah, baseball on the television, I could, I could uh, pretty reliably get Dad and my brothers and everything when they came to town. Uh, we would sit and play that quite a bit. But for you, uh, Michael, it was bowling, so cool. I'm actually not sure why my mom didn't play the bowling game. Well, probably because I didn't have it. Uh, but if we had, she probably would, because she was a bowler. Uh, most of my childhood, uh, she would go bowl uh, once or twice a week on a league. And I remember frequently on Saturdays going and watching her in tournaments, um, mostly so that I could like eat bowling alley food. So yeah, so I'm glad you had this time with your mom. Michael uh, concludes his comment by noting that he finally shot a perfect game in bowling, but I was it was on the emulated uh, PS4 version. My response to him was, hey, doesn't matter, it's still a perfect game. So congratulations on that, Michael. Thank you for being a Patreon supporter, and thank you for sending me a comment on the game. Keep the comments coming. Same for all of you. Keep the comments coming uh, on the episodes. Uh, if you'd like to be a Patreon supporter, I certainly won't say no to that either. All right. This last comment isn't really a news thing. I was just I was looking at my Twitter feed earlier, and the Fred Rogers Company, at Fred Rogers Co., um, you know, the, the, the company's sort of keeping the legacy of Mr. Rogers alive, they tweeted a short video from the 1980s. They didn't give an exact date, but it's hit, it's Mr. Rogers and this little kid, and this kid is showing Mr. Rogers how to play Donkey Kong, like a, on an arcade cabinet. And they're in this room. It's clearly not an actual arcade, but there are a bunch of other arcade cabinets around, but the only one you can really see clearly is Donkey Kong, and this kid's trying to show Mr. Rogers how to play Donkey Kong, and it's clear that Mr. Rogers has not spent a lot of time in an arcade. The video is only a few seconds long, so you get a, a little bit of that, and then this dude comes up with the key to the, the cabinet and opens it up so you can see what's inside, and apparently what's inside a Donkey Kong cabinet is a big empty wooden box, because that's what he takes out. 
and I like look at it and it is an empty wooden box. And that's it. That's the whole video. So, I would have thought, honestly, I've never looked inside an arcade cabinet. I would have thought there was a little bit more in there. Evidently, Gabe cabinets work off magic, apparently. I would like Pie Factory to do an episode on the dark magic that powers arcade cabinets. Because I've listened to a lot of Pie Factory episodes, and I don't feel like they've ever addressed this issue clearly. I kind of wonder what they're hiding. So, yeah. I would like an episode on the dark arts that control arcade cabinets because I think that this truth needs to be uncovered. Um, Alright, with that public service, let's get on to this week's game. This week's game is... Deadly Duck from 20th Century Fox, 1982. I got this game, this cartridge, recently and uh, I tried it out and I was charmed with the look of this game with this little duck. Now, I think I said this last week in the announcement for what was coming up this week, where I was charmed by plugging in the game and turning it on and hearing this silly little duck quack uh, that made me laugh, and it was enough for me to bump out of this week's slot the game that I was going to play uh, to play this one instead. Now, here's the thing. I plugged the game in today to play it a little bit before I started recording. And there's not a single damn duck quack in the whole game. I I don't know. Last week I had just started taking some new cold medicine. Maybe I was high. I don't know. Uh, so I'm a little disappointed by that. But you know what? I said this is what we're playing. And as I will get into later, uh, it didn't really diminish my enjoyment of the game. So let's plow into it. A deadly duck, as I said, is from Fox Video Games. We're told that the Deadly Duck's job is to score points by blasting his enemy, the crabs, their bricks, and the dragonflies. Why the crabs have bricks, we don't really know. That's sort of a plot hole that they never quite fill for us. Um, same with the question of how the dragonflies got bombs. But we just kind of go with it. Deadly can keep shooting as long as he avoids getting bonked by a falling brick or hit by a dragonfly's bomb. Uh, tilt the joystick left to right to make Deadly Duck swim back and forth across the pond. Press the joystick button once to deliver one bill bullet. Or hold the button down for non-stop firing. There are four levels. Uh, at any time during the game, play levels may be selected by using the game select lever. Which is kind of interesting. Uh, instead of having to select a particular game, like during the same game, you can flip back and forth between levels. That's kind of cool. Deadly will automatically advance to the next level of difficulty after eliminating all eight traps. The play level is indicated by the number of dragonflies shown. Level 1, no dragonflies. 2 is uh, 2 dragonflies with 1 bomb dropped at a time. Level 3, 4 dragonflies with 2 bombs dropped at a time. Level 4, 6 dragonflies, 3 bombs dropped at a time. Well, that's just madness. Here, here's a little diagram of how that looks. Can you see in the back? Okay, good. You begin with 4 deadly ducks and receive a bonus duck for shooting all 8 crabs in each play level. Although you may acquire an unlimited supply of extra ducks, no more than three will be shown at the bottom of the screen. There are eight crusty crabs, not to be confused with the crusty crab, in each level deadly duck who want to dunk deadly with their bricks. These bricks will float on the water for a short time, temporarily blocking deadly's movement on the pond. An on-target brick means goodbye to our feathered friend. Pardon me while I do a puppy check to make sure the dog isn't destroying anything.
Uh, all is well. The house is still intact. Back to this game. Dragonflies are allies of the cranky old crabs and cannot be destroyed. They should be approached with caution. If one is hit with a bill bullet, you gain 10 points. But beware, the now angry dragonfly will drop a bomb. Aim directly at poor deadly. If you hit a brick, you get 50 points in level 1, 100 points in level 2, 200 points in level 3, 500 points in level 4. A crab shot. By the way, if you're experiencing crab shots, see your doctor immediately. But in this game, you get 30 points at all levels. One dragonfly shot gets you 10 points in all levels. I can remember many a night in college doing dragonfly shots. Ah, uh, youth. Anyway, what was I talking about? Oh, hints from the designer. Practice shooting bricks on level 1 until you can hit them fairly easily. Be careful, since attempting to shoot a brick can be dangerous if you miss. After you develop some confidence in your ability to shoot bricks, start a new game. But this time, go through the first three levels before trying to shoot bricks. Now the bricks are worth 500 points, and you should have a few more ducks in reserve. That's it for the instructions. We get a list of soon-to-be-released Fox video games, at least as of 1982 when this game came out. Porties, which they promise is more fun than a greased pig. Six-pack, fast lane fun. Nine to five, take this game and play it. And Megaforce, where actions speak louder than words. Megaforce I think I own. I do not own the others. Uh, oh, well, then they have uh, below that more fast action entertainment. Turmoil and Nexar. So, okay, of these six games, I own three of them. Turmoil, Nexar, Megaforce. Porky's, I know, exists. Six-pack, I'm not sure if that actually exists or not. Uh, nine to five, I think, exists also, although I can't imagine why, um, how you would make a video game of that movie, but okay. Uh, and then we get a chart to write in your name, level, and score for Deadly Deadliest Ducks. And that is how you play Deadly Duck. Deadly Duck was designed by Ed Hodap for Sirius Software and published by 20th Century Fox Games. Later ported to the Commodore VC-20. Atari HQ observes that there have been a great number of early video games with ridiculous stories attached to them, but Deadly Duck is definitely one of the silliest, sillier ones. The key word to all elements of the game is simplicity. The action is simple. Deadly swim back and forth on the surface of a very small pond. You have to avoid being hit by bricks and bombs. You have to return fire and you've got an unlimited supply of bill bullets. Scoring is simple too. Kids and novice players might get a kick out of this yawn-inducing title. For the rest of us, the game is deadly. To give graphics a 6, sound a 5, gameplay a 5, overall score a 5. HonestGamers.com observes that ancient ponds were breeding grounds for danger, especially for ducks. As everyone knows, the natural event enemy of any peaceful mallard is Carpillus volatus. What many of us terrified citizens know as the flying crab. Deadly Duck is not so much a game as an educational tool teaching us about the struggles between modern duck and the vile flying crabs. It's your task to commit genocide to the aforementioned arthropods by firing upwards at them. Crabs understand the value of a fair fight. They tend to keep things interesting as long as possible by starting off with light assault and gradually increasing the severity of their attack. It's this factor, the progressive climb in difficulty, that separates Deadly Duck from other obscure additions to the 2600 library, where many games go from easy to face crush in a level or two, or are far too simple throughout, Deadly Duck turns up the challenge factor by adding small constraints with each new level. Don't get me wrong, I'm not saying the title is brilliant. Deadly Duck is, however, a competent and addictive addition to the vast number of Space Invaders clones. Don't let the lack of recognition scare you off. If you still play games that require only a single button, enjoy blasting 
airborne menaces, then look up Deadly Duck and defend the pond. They give it 8 out of 10. Before we proceed, I feel like I need to clear up uh, some other points of this game that might be confusing to you. Specifically, the term duck. You might be sitting there thinking, what is this duck you speak of? Duck is the common name for a large number of species in the waterfowl family Anatidae, which also includes swans and geese. There are many subfamilies of duck. They do not represent a monophyletic group, the group of all descendants of a single common ancestral species, but a form taxon, since swans and geese are not considered ducks. Ducks are mostly aquatic birds, mostly smaller than the swans and geese, and may be found in both freshwater and seawater. They are sometimes, sometimes confused with several types of unrelated water birds with similar forms, such as loons or divers, grabes, gallinules, and coots. Ducks have many economic uses, being farmed for their meat, eggs, and feathers. They are kept and bred by aviculturalists and often displayed in zoos. In 2002, psychologist Richard Wiseman and colleagues at the University of Hertfordshire, UK, finished a year-long laugh lab experiment concluding that of all animals, ducks attract the most humor and silliness. He said, If you're going to tell a joke involving an animal, make it a duck. Of the many ducks in fiction, many are cartoon characters such as Walt Disney's Donald Duck and Warner Brothers' Daffy Duck. Howard the Duck started as a comic book character in 73 and was made into a movie in 86. The 1992 Disney film, The Mighty Ducks, starring Emilio Estevez, chose the duck as the mascot for the fictional youth hockey team, who are protagonists of the movie, based on the duck being described as a fierce fighter. This led to the duck becoming the nickname and mascot for the eventual National Hockey League professional team, Anaheim Ducks. The duck is also the nickname of the University of Oregon sports teams, as well as the Long Island Ducks Major League Baseball team. There you go. I hope this clears up any confusion. So, after the break, duck, 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 goose. No, wait, sorry, just more ducks. guy on that Atari bitey bitty show said there'd be quacking when the game started. These are ducks. I don't hear any quacking. Alright, I'll play, but I don't like it. So I'm playing level two. Two dragonflies. Crabs are going brick happy. got bricked. I totally want a t-shirt this time. I done got bricked. Pinned in by the bricks. Oh no! Uh, dragonflies are right above me dropping bombs. At least I hope they're bombs. Space Invaders. Well, the the uh, crabs just kind of move in uh, regular patterns back and forth. They're not really advancing down the screen, of course. Um, and then you got these uh, dragonflies kind of doing the uh, filling the spider role in centipede, I guess. I might just be getting. 
getting old, but my hand keeps cramping up, even though this is not a particularly intense game. There's a lot of stuff going on, but it's not real intense. But you have to keep firing a lot, and yeah, my thumb keeps cramping up. I guess I'm old. Maybe I need a better controller. This is my last duck. Gotta make him count. Die, you crab. Aw, oh, man. Not in the good way. Well, back to you in the studio. Oh, good evening, Mr. Duck. Hello, Spot. May I get the door for you? Thank you very much. Let's go. So here's the thing about Deadly Duck. I like this game a lot. I don't know that I would sit and play for hours and hours due largely to the fact that, uh, like I said in the field report, my hand kept cramping up. I don't know if it was just a function of today for some reason or the, uh, the, the controller I was using or what. But if anyone can suggest a good controller with... Uh, uh, I, I like having, at least for the 2600, I like having the controller with the, the joysticky thing on it as opposed to all buttons. But if anyone can suggest something, maybe it's a little easier to hold. You know, a step up from the uh, the standard controller, but still has that sort of standard joystick feel, but maybe it's a little easier on the hands. Let me know, because I may uh, want to invest in that. I like the game. I like that it's Space Invaders with other stuff going on. I like that the bricks fall, and you don't just have to shoot them before they hit you, but once they land, they actually prevent you from moving, at least briefly. I think that's a nice feature. In terms of being fair to you as you play, having the, the uh, dragonflies right above your head it gets a little frustrating at times, but I guess maybe it's an extra challenge that you have to deal with, uh, and it is not that hard to run from the bombs. So I'm probably more inclined with the 8 out of 10 review uh, to agree with that than the, uh, the other one that just said it was pretty uh, yawn-inducing. I'm a little disappointed. Like I said, I could have sworn there was a duck quack at some point in this game, but I didn't hear it today. So that's a bummer. But it's, it's a small complaint. I think the game looks simple, but good. Graphics are fine. The sound is acceptable for the time. I got no problems with this game. Go play it. But not until after you listen to the show. So this game features our man, or girl, we don't know, Deadly Duck. Deadly, of course, is not the only famous duck in the world. There's Daffy, uh, a Warner Brothers character. An anthropomorphic black duck who's appeared in Looney Tunes and Merry Melodies. Uh, usually as the best friend and occasional arch-rival of Bugs Bunny. He was one of the first new screwball characters that emerged in the late 30s to replace traditional everyman characters who were more popular earlier in the decade, like Mickey Mouse and Popeye. Daffy starred in 130 shorts in the Golden Age, making him the third most frequent character in the Looney Tunes' Merry Melodies cartoons, behind Bugs, who appeared 180 times, and Porky Pig, who had 182. He first appeared in Porky's Duck Hunt, April 17, 1937, 
created by Tex Avery and Bob Clampett, uh, voiced by a bunch of people, including the legendary Mel Blanc, and also including Frank Gorshin, I, had, I didn't know, uh, in 1996. Among his aliases were Duck Dodgers. Uh, he's an American black duck, uh, male, uh, and has been linked with Melissa Duck, Tira Russo in the Looney Tunes show, and Mrs. Daffy Duck. There's also Donald Duck, cartoon character created in 1934 at Walt Disney Productions, uh, an anthropomorphic white duck with a yellow-orange bill, legs, and feet. Typically wears a sailor shirt and cap with a bow tie, most famous for his semi-intelligible speech and his mischievous and temperamental personality. He's one of the most popular Disney characters, uh, along with Mickey Mouse, and was included in TV Guide's list of 50 greatest cartoon characters of all time in 2002. He's appeared in more films than any other Disney character, and in the most published comic book character is the most published comic book character in the world outside of the superhero genre. First appeared in The Wise Little Hen in 1934, voiced by various people, most recently by Tony Anselmo, and he's been doing it since 1985. His full name is Donald Fauntleroy Duck, nicknamed Don, uh, also known as Maui Mallard, Frank Duck, Fred, and Duck Avenger and Double Duck. His significant others include Daisy Duck, Reginella in the 1970s comics, Herne in Maui Mallard, uh, as Maui Mallard in Cold Shadow, and Donald Duck in a short, I guess, called Don Donald. While he first appeared in The Wise Little Hen, his second appearance in Orphan's Benefit introduced him as a temperamental comic foil to Mickey Mouse. Beyond animation, he's primarily known for his appearances in comics, most famously drawn by Al Talarero, Carl Banks, and Don Rosa. And also in the pantheon of famous ducks, we have Howard the Duck. Howard formerly came from Duck World, uh, born in New Stork City, first appeared in a comic book called Adventure into Fear number 19 in 1973. He had his origins in Howard the Duck number 13 in 1977. I don't quite get that. Howard the Duck number 6 and 8 in 1980. He has been many things. An adventurer, a cab driver, a reluctant warrior, a former nursing home attendant, poster child for ductitis, babysitter, video store clerk, burlesque show director, computer salesman, actor, dishwasher, amateur wrestler, repossession man, presidential candidate, construction worker, poet, and folk singer. He has no superhuman powers, but it is suggested that he possesses a high degree of as yet undefined magical powers. He's a self-styled master of quack foo, an obscure martial arts unusable only by waterfowl. At one point, he possessed a special iron duck suit of powered armor, which possessed a flamethrower, a lamp, and springs, enabling him to leap as high as one story. As Duckman, he had the Duckmobile, and a utility belt filled with unrevealed paraphernalia. So his deal is, he comes from Duck World, a planet in another dimension where intelligent life evolved from waterfowl that resembles Earth in an astounding number of ways, including the fact that ducks speak English. In fact, Howard mistook Earth for Duck World on his arrival on Earth until he saw the hairless apes wandering around. He found himself trapped in a world that he never made when the power-hungry demon Thog, the nether spawn, used his magic to shift the interdimensional cosmic axis in hopes that all realities could be collapsed into one under his control. He was plucked from, Howard was, from Duck World and dropped in the middle of the Florida Everglades on Earth. Somehow after that he ended up in Cleveland and, uh, you know, adventure ensued after that. Alright, so those are the famous ducks. There's more to that bio that I could read, but you know what, just go check out some Howard the Duck comics. There's one thing that you won't find in those comics, though. Howard has a less famous, but no less heroic relative. And that relative is... Deadly Duck. 
actually, sorry, I should be uh, totally accurate here. His name is Darren Deadly Duck. So named as a duckling due to a flatulence problem, which is remarkable because ducks, like any other bird, don't fart. But Deadly overcame those odds. Insert random recording interruption in three, two, one. It's the daddy. Deadly duck. Oh, I love that game. I don't even know what that game is, Turkey. Yes, I do. You do? I got a cookie. Awesome. I played it before. Okay. See, well, I see. I know I, that I played it before. If you talk a little louder, you can say hi to the people. Hi, peoples! I'm here, too. But not anymore. Ha-ha. <laughs> All right. Well, Henry, since you're here, would you like to play Deadly Duck in the background while I read the story to these people? Yeah. All right. So I can prove that I've played it before. All right. Well, yeah, the people certainly want you to prove that you have played this game before. They will not rest until they know that. Hey, can you turn it down a little bit? I don't know how. All right. Well, we'll make do. The pond glowed red in the early morning hours as the sun dragged into being another day of futile struggles and empty pursuits. The red glow brought to Darren Deadly Duck's mind the glow from one of Cousin Howard's stupid cigars. The still pond rippled as Deadly Duck, so named for just this reason, passed a silent but noxious fusillade of gas. That's for you, Howard. Deadly Duck hated being a morning duck, but the early duck gets the bugs. A pair of mosquitoes flew by happily playing chase games. Deadly ate them both in one gulp. He was reminded of something Cousin Howard once said, perhaps the only thing he ever said that Deadly agreed with. Happiness is just getting one over on those who are happier than you. Editor's note. We don't know that Howard the Duck ever actually said this, but we like to think so. Deadly was reveling in a stinky one when a few more bugs flew into view. Dragonflies this time. And you know what they say about dragonflies. It's not their fiery breath that gets you. It's their garlic breath. One by one, Deadly Duck took them down. He wondered what Cousin Howard was eating this morning. Blueberry muffins, probably. Or maybe scones. Then licking the crumbs off Leah Thompson as they snuggled by the fire or something. Then, on a nearby rock outcropping, Deadly heard a familiar scuttling. Crabs. Deadly turned, saw three or four of them, and they were armed. Clawed. Anyway, that is to say they bore arms in their claws. They had bricks. Deadly groaned. Why did it have to be bricks? Deadly hated crabs. The look of them. The smell of them. He loved the taste, unfortunately, though. And they hated him for it. Perhaps not surprisingly. He didn't see what the big deal was. Deadly thought he was doing a public service by getting rid of as many as he could. Man, they were obnoxious. The only crab Deadly ever liked was this cute little one he met in New Orleans. Annabelle was her name, and she... Well, that's a story for another time. Deadly wheeled round toward the crabs, non-existent duck teeth bared. Bricks, that's all you got? He taunted. The biggest of the crabs clocked Deadly with a cinder block. Oh, Deadly murmured before momentarily blacking out. Deadly regained consciousness, ringed by crabs, bricks at the ready. He was sunk for sure. He couldn't help but wonder what Cousin Howard would do. Great, he thought. My last thought is about him. But he knew the answer. Howard? Would show no mercy. <sighs> Deadly sighed. I just got a bill shine, too, Deadly muttered with regret. 
and after this is over, he's probably going to have post-nasal drip for days. Oh well, you do what you gotta do. A volley of bill bullets erupted from Deadly's nasal cavities. Within moments, it was over. As the air grew still and the ripples on the pond stilled, Deadly paddled slowly to the bank. He knew Howard would have a witty remark at this point, but Deadly wasn't quite sure how to feel. But then, sore sinuses be damned, a small smile crept across his bill. He thought, I wonder if Howard has Phoebe Cates' phone number. our show. My thanks to Kevin McLeod and Incomptic.com for Creative Commons use of his songs, Reformat, Take a Chance, and Pinball Spring. You can find Atari Bytes on many podcatchers, including Stitcher, iHeartRadio, and on and on and on. And remember to duck the bricks and bombs and head over to iTunes to leave a review of the show. You can also support the show financially at the Atari Bytes Patreon page, or pick up Atari Bytes merchandise at Zazzle.com. Links to all of that in the show notes. Our website is ataribytes.libson.com. You can email the show at ataribytes2016 at gmail.com. Like the Atari Bytes Facebook page. Follow the show on Twitter at Atari Bytes. Or follow me personally at Carnival of Glee. Hit us up on Instagram, too. And don't forget to check out my other show. It's a podcast, Charlie Brown, for all your animated and not-so-animated Peanuts Gang needs. New episodes drop on the 15th of every month. Next time on Atari Bytes encounter at L5. I injured my L5 disc uh, a year or so ago, uh, and that was quite an encounter too, so here's hoping that this encounter goes a little bit better. So until next time, go play some old games. They've missed you. You want to say bye, Henry?